Welcome to New Game Netcast, the official podcast of NewGameNetwork.com. This is episode 15 for Sunday, October 28, 2012. Today on the show, we've got Doom 3 BFG Edition, Borderlands 2 DLC, Guild Wars 2 Halloween, The Walking Dead game coming to retail, Hitman Absolution enlists Hollywood talent. Article recap includes PES 2013, Dishonored, XCOM, Forza Horizon, and The Unfinished Swan. News around the industry, we have IGN up for sale, Sony ends agreement with Starhawk developer, Zynga layoffs, Star Wars The Old Republic free-to-play restrictions, PlayStation 3 rehack, X-Play and Attack of the Show being cancelled. In the extras section, we've got our interview with Pamela Horton from Playboy, follow-up on Microsoft restricting mature-rated games in Europe, and finally the big GMA and video game journalism controversy taking place this week. <laughs> so, oh, with uh, Pete Gunn, who's going to MC this? Oh. Didn't realize Pete's not here. Jeez. Yeah, sad day. Don't you? Don't you miss the accent right away? Something's missing in your life. Yeah, I, I should have put two and two together. <laughs> what I judge people by is their accents and voices. And it doesn't help that now we have. I personally haven't done a podcast yet with both of our bases speaking, and so this might get confusing. What? <laughs> bases. The low uh-huh. singing, low singing people. People with low voices. People who talk like this. Oh. Uh, who are they? Is that me and him? Me. I'm gonna give you one guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, not you, me. You guys sound separate enough, actually. And I'm all self-conscious of my voice. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Who's uh, who's gonna be hosting? I would volunteer, except the last time I spoke on a podcast, I was so covered up with ums and ahs, I counted up afterwards, and it was very, very embarrassing. <laughs> All right. I think you can handle it. Um, <laughs> and welcome, welcome to the New Game Netcast. We are here with four podcasters right now. We've got Nick. Hey, how you doing? Tim. Hello. Alex. Hi there. And this is Evan, your MC for the week. First up, we're going to be discussing top news on the website. And the first topic that we were going to... Oh, sorry. I forget. Do, do I go through like? <laughs> well, you forgot an the, early stumble. You forgot the date oh. and the episode number. Oh. <laughs> no, no, That's see, why I didn't volunteer. I didn't know either of those things. No, no. See, okay, no, no, no. This is good because now I'll know this the next time this happens. Look, okay. So in today's episode, Evan is trained to be MC. He's doing okay. Uh, we're cheering him on, but, you know. Let's hear It's October. This is October 28th. Which episode is this? Is this the 15th? Yeah. 15. It's the New Game Netcast for October 28th. This is the 15th episode. Today we're going to be talking about top news on the site, and then we're going to recap some of the articles that we've been reading, talk about news around the industry, as well as some of the reviews that we've reviewed on the website. Would you like to review those reviews? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, see, uh, where's Pete? This is why we need Pete. Pete was really you're good. Try, you're, you're doing so good there, Evan. Anyway, you know what? That, that, that does it. We're going to go straight into the good news then. All right. Start off with the top news on, on the side. We're going to do it live. Do it live. First thing that we wanted to talk about today, at least, was that the Doom 3 BFG edition is apparently now in stores. 
Now, I hate to say it, I was never a big Doom 3 fan, but I know this is part of deep, deep gaming culture, so I assume there's a lot of love going out there from fans of the franchise. No, I hear it's rubbish. What? Uh, yeah. I hear the new levels suck, and on the PC, like, it actually looks worse than the original version. So, yeah. How could this wow. be? <laughs> I don't know. They also cash grab. They also removed the uh, standalone Doom Three from Steam when the BFG edition came out. What really? So, so now you can only get the what is this thirty dollar version? Yeah. So I think it includes the original as well with it, but basically you can't just get Doom Three by itself. It's really harsh. It's brilliant marketing. I suppose so. Well, that's disappointing to hear about the BFG edition. Uh, second topic is the first DLC campaign for Borderlands 2 has just come out. Who's our big Borderlands 2 player here? I, I, I reviewed the game. I haven't played this DLC, but I've heard it's only $10, and I heard it's like 8, 10 hours long, so I might get it at some point, and I heard some good things about it, so Anything that's all I know. Uh, I heard it's more of the same wacky humor that Borderlands is known for. This time with a pirate theme, but uh, <laughs> that's about it. Uh, overall, yeah, on, on the water side, very referential. Something about they give you a new location, a new port, or something that uh, port area, so that you can go with the pirate theme. From what yeah, I, I kind of yeah, like it's it. all a uh, desert related. So they've got like I think I heard a lot of it was kind of Star Wars reference too. So they have like sand skiffs and things like that. Um, it sounded pretty cool. Same same kind of referential humor. Well, speaking of new areas or additional added-on DLC just for the celebration, Guild Wars 2 is going to be doing something special for Halloween. They've got costumes that they're going to be adding into the stores and spooky taunts and skills, I've heard. (laughs) I'm not sure exactly what that translates to. Like, what's a spooky skill? I I just checked it out here uh, over the weekend. They just basically renovated all the um, various towns, much like they did in the original Guild Wars, so everything is uh, Halloween-themed, and you play all kinds of various mini-games and, and random events out in the open world, and just, you know, candy drops from monsters and things like that. It's these neat. Are kind of, these are the kind of things that mo- most of them are going to disappear after Halloween is over? Yeah, pretty much. It's, it's just a seasonal event like most MMOs like to do. Uh, and Team Fortress 2. Wow, oh, Team Fortress 2. <laughs> Team Fortress 2 has a good Halloween event this year. If you guys play, you should check it out. It, put, it feels like they put a little extra effort into it. Good to know. And on the Halloween... On no, the Halloween no, topic, no more transition on that one. <laughs> what? No, we like Halloween topics. Okay. Gonna go, what better way to celebrate Halloween than with playing The Walking Dead, which is apparently coming to retail? And this kind of surprised me, to tell the truth. Because is this the, the episodic? Like yeah. the five-episode first-season deal? Exactly. It right. is, yeah. So I guess they're going to you know, put all five episodes together. It makes and, sense. Well, yeah. kind of, but you know, in the first place, the game has been out forever. And in the, in the second place, you're still going to have to wait until the fifth episode comes out. I sort of feel like, why 
are you really going to open up your market all that much by releasing this to retail? Maybe. Actually, I know some people who are waiting until all five episodes release to uh, to play through them. Kind of like with people who uh, wait for an entire season of a TV show to finish before they watch it. Because they oh, just don't okay. like waiting in between the episodes. So I can understand yeah. it. Who does that? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> oh, I, def- I can't keep track of those like weekly shows. I, I, I miss the viewings, then I'm behind, and then I never catch up, and then I hear spoilers of it later on, and so then I never want to watch it again. Like, uh, this seems like a pretty good way to do it, so I can totally see people saying, like, okay, I'm going to wait, I'm going to play through all of them at the same time, and then there's so many people out there who just like to have a hard copy of a game, and uh, it seems right up their alley. I think the thing that wins me over on this is that they are offering as part of this a special edition that comes with some standalone artwork, and I believe uh, the comic book, actually. The opening, like, first two two issues of the comic or something. And, and that does kind of win me over. I like that idea. We should mention That's that cool. the uh, retail copy is only for consoles, so there's going to be no PC version. And it's actually 30 mm. bucks, so <laughs> you're going to be kind of paying more because you're getting a physical copy. Yeah, it's only 25 if you buy the entire thing right now. Yeah. You so know, I can... You're paying for the plastic. I complain about them. I complain about them waiting until episode five comes out. But the truth is, I just came back to the Walking Dead game, having waited for a few episodes to stack up, and that was definitely mm-hmm. the right the right choice to make. It was great to just be able to keep playing it and stick with the story. And yeah. now, when I got into the Walking Dead, the TV series, I watched the two seasons, you know, straight after they had all come out and all been released, and now I'm stuck on the third season, waiting week by week, and it's just torture, so. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm working through episode three of the game uh, right now. Ooh, and, uh, man, <laughs> stuff happened fast. <laughs> yeah, no yeah, spoilers. Yeah, he's heavy. Yeah, yeah no, I'm, I'm not going to spoil it, but man, I'm like... It, it was a something happened that was bad enough that I'm like, oh, should I like reset my save? Should I? Is there another way around this? Can I not have this thing happen? Uh, that game is a bummer, man. I, I can only take them in like one to two episode chunks because anything more than that is like too much heavy for too long. Going without being very careful not to spoil anything, I think I know exactly what you're talking about, and my reaction was the exact same. As soon as the <laughs> event happened in the game, I thought. Oh my goodness, something I've done in the past episode or up to now in this episode has been awfully horrible and I need to restart and see if I can see if I can change yeah. the story so that this doesn't happen. Like I'm waiting for those, you know, they give those statistics at the end of the game that's like so and so made this choice, you know, how, what percentage of people did it. And I'm waiting to get to the end of that where I can see like you know, only 1% of people made the same choice as you that did this thing. At the end of episode 4, they put an additional uh, they put an additional screen showing statistics for who came with you. The screen well, uh, always makes me feel a little, I almost want to say a little guilty, because sometimes I either feel like I'm just following the crowd too much, and sometimes I feel like I made the right call, but, you know, I'm in the 20%. <laughs> Everybody else is wrong. 80% yeah. of people said and, that they wouldn't do this, but you apparently you can't help but, You can't help but judge, like, the rest of society. You're like, what's wrong with everyone else in this? <laughs> oh, they're soft. You heartless they bastards. They can't do what they need to do. Hey, um, again, not to go sp- too spoiler in- into it, but this is a great example of how subtle this gets. The, it, this isn't too many spoils, but at one point in the story, you have to decide whether you are going to shoot someone who is changing into a zombie. And here's my problem with that, and my problem with a lot of zombie fiction like this. In zombie fiction, 
a lot of times you'll make a deal with a person and say, look, we won't kill you until you are officially a zombie. You know, when your eyes glaze over and you start reaching for us, then we'll shoot you. But up until then, we won't. But the game in this situation put you in this weird put you in a weird sticky spot where you have to kill the person while they're still alive. They've been bitten, they're not a zombie yet, but you either have to leave them to be a zombie or shoot them while they're still alive. And that just felt unfair. That was one of those decisions where everyone else in the world made the other choice, but I I guess I'm the only one who sees humanity yeah, that's weird. the right way. I like to think that if I was bitten, I would if I knew I was going to turn, I'd go off and just do my own thing, you know, like all right, I'll, let you, I'll let the rest of the group go ahead. You guys go on, leave me. I'm going to try to find another way out or something like that. So then right. we don't run that risk of at the least opportune moment. Suddenly I turn and start gnawing on somebody's ear. Right. You know? mm, ears. <laughs> and then well, Mike Tyson on him, yeah. finally for top news on the site, Hitman Absolution apparently has some famous names doing voice work on it. There's so many names. There's only a lot of names. All right. Hopefully, hopefully um, it's not the same as Sleeping Dogs, which also had uh, all-star cast, if you will. But uh, you know, they ended up with like four lines or something. Like and really, Dishonored too. Really, really minor characters. Um, I haven't played Dishonored, so I can't comment. But Sleeping Dogs definitely did that celebrity thing, but they didn't have much to do, anyways. Who were the big names in Dishonored who got short-shafted as far as lines go? Uh, I'd say really everyone except uh, Susan Sarandon, who uh, played uh, Granny Rags. Right? Susan Sarandon in Dishonored? I had no idea. Yeah, I believe it was. I believe it was her. But I like so they had Carrie Fisher uh, as the she was re- uh, supposed to be the, like the PA announcer who broadcasts like the propaganda kind of stuff. But uh, I believe it turns out that she only does the propaganda that you put out if you do a later mission when you get to the their broadcast room. Oh. She doesn't do the regular propaganda, which is done by a, a man. Yeah, so I, if you, I thought that as well. Yeah, and you have a you have an optional uh, uh, mission where you can you know uh, kill the guy that's broadcasting the the announcements, and then I think she replaces uh, as the new PA, like PA announcer person. Uh, but if you don't do that, you literally never hear her voice in it. Hmm. So it's like it's, you go through all the trouble, you get Carrie Fisher to do this, but it's entirely possible to not hear her dialogue. And even if you do, it's only at the a later stage in the game. Um, you know, slight spoilers there, but uh, I mean, it's entirely possible to miss them. Uh, Chloe Grace Moretz, I think, has a very minor role in it. Michael Madsen, you know, not, not a lot of speaking in that. And I have to say... Compared even to normal cameos, I think voice cameos are especially low maintenance, I want to say, for stars. It's probably even easier to rope a star in to record a few lines than it is to, you know, have them do a scene for your movie. Yeah. Oh, sure, yeah. And I, you know, I don't know that anyone, the excitement of stars is when you can see them acting, you know. I don't know about you guys, but I, I don't really get super jazzed up to hear, like, oh, uh, you know, Susan Sarandon is voicing so and so person. It's just it, it's all a voice to me. It's not something I really yeah. get excited by. I you know I'd rather have them go back in, into the well of great video game voice actors and have people that can really bring something out of the roles than somebody who's a neophyte to it who's never done it before and it's just a notable name. Oh no, ag- agreed there. That's why I'm always really excited when they do pull in. Every now and then they'll pull in famous voice actors from animation. And that's always a big hit. I always get excited. Who, I forget who does the voice for Bender in Futurama. 
but he's done a couple of video games, and that's always yeah, fun. Yeah, he was in uh, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. That's right, yeah. He did the voice. Uh, is that Phil Lamar? Does he do that? He does a lot of video game voice acting. That's all I remember. I don't know. And I think yeah. he's, a, he's got a role on Futurama. I don't know. Somebody with a computer uh, look it up. John, John DiMaggio. Oh. Uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> all right. But, um, yeah, I, I looked through the list of the uh, the voice actors for, for Hitman, and I'm, I must be getting old or something like that. I didn't recognize any of the names except for, like, Vivica A. Fox. Yeah, same here. I hate to say it. I didn't really didn't really see what the thrill was, I want to say. Yeah. Lame. Okay. Weak. Moving Article. on. Recap our game reviews for the week. Pez. X. PES 213 2013 got a 77. Mark of the Ninja got an 87. McPixel got a 69. Dishonored came in at a high 88. Say it again. McPez. What? Oh. Keep on coming. Keep on coming. XCOM Enemy Unknown got a 78. Forza Horizon review. Ah, Forza Horizon, excuse me. Also got a high 88. Resident Evil 6 pulled in at 69, and the Unfinished Swan has a a swan song. I'm going to redo that. The Unfinished unfinished (laughs) Swan has a sad swan song at 60. Nice. The the idea was good, but, you know. Execution, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. Warm warm me up to it. (laughs) Uh, So, I did did, uh, a couple of these here. I did PES Pro Evolution Soccer 2013. How was that? Uh, it was okay. It was uh, not too different from last year, despite you know the various bullet points on the back of the manual and the cover box. It felt it feels pretty much the same. I, I think they kind of squandered an opportunity to really catch up to FIFA, which uh, remained also largely unchanged this year, as I mentioned in the last podcast. I remember, yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's okay, but it's still got a ways to go to catch up to FIFA, I think. And uh, this is potentially one of the last few games on this gen. So uh, hopefully on the next set of consoles, they'll be able to be a little bit closer to FIFA and, you know, have some competition between the two series. Good enough to last us one more year, right? That's all we need. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, I was wondering, so uh, being somebody who doesn't really think that soccer is a sport, uh, living, here in, living here in the States. Um, I was actually kind of wondering, so what accounts for the big difference between FIFA and PES? Like, I, I know FIFA, I gather, is like the, the Madden of the soccer world, kind of, yep. they get the top spot. So is there something that they do notably better, or do they have a better license, better teams? Or? Yes, so they do have the official license, whereas uh, PES only has a few teams, basically. So fans have to do a lot of the customization and bringing real teams and real players into the game. Uh, and I mean, just the gameplay in general. FIFA's is much more fluid. It's physics-based. Uh, it's a better presentation. It's a bit of a different art style. Uh, you can actually probably say that PS is a little bit better because it's more focused on realism versus, uh, as you know, just the same as Madden. Uh, FIFA is more a bit, mm. of, a bit of a cartoonish style, I guess, they have. Uh, mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to explain, I guess, but um, PS is just completely realistic approach mm-hmm. to how they create players and stuff. But yeah, yeah it's just I don't know. I can picture what it probably looks like. Yeah, it's just it's just a matter of um, I guess 
the value oh, that each game provides and the gameplay mechanics and things like that. So okay, it's not okay. as it's not as bad as Madden because Madden is uh, has the license so that nobody else can create a Madden game, right? Whereas at least, yeah, yeah. At least here you can make a soccer game, <laughs> and if, even they do still have uh, you know only a couple licenses. So EA is trying to monopolize that as well, but. It feels a little sad there just because it feels like sports video games are, they're so closely connected to the professional sports organizations involved. It feels like if, when, because video games have to get the official license to represent the official teams, that doesn't really open the field very much to, uh, to healthy competition. Oh, exactly. Yeah, for sure. If I go out right now and I want to make a football game, what am I going to do? My only choice is to turn it into fantasy steampunk football and, you know, (laughs) add in, you know, the nuclear-powered mechanics and everything. I can't just, you know, pretend that you're in charge of a football team, really, because all the good stuff is licensed away. You can make a much more creative game that way, though. I'm writing it down right now. (laughs) Fantasy steampunk nuclear-powered football. Uh, what, awesome. other re- what other reviews did we have from people? I uh, reviewed Dishonored myself. I think overall it pretty much lived up to its potential as far as gameplay is concerned. It's incredibly flexible in how you can play through it. I did one playthrough where I was low chaos, which is kind of uh, how the game measures how stealthy you are, and I uh, I snuck through the entire game, played it like a thief game. It wasn't very challenging on the normal difficulty, but if you turn off some of the player assists and turn the difficulty up, then it does become a bit more tense. And then I went back and I played through the first series of missions just stabbing everyone. And that was also a lot of fun. <laughs> One thing I don't like about it is it kind of pushes you early on to be non-lethal. It kind of tells you, oh, if you kill too many people, you'll get a darker ending. But... Most of the weapons the games the game gives you are lethal, so to have the most fun, you probably want to use those lethal weapons and ignore what the game tells you about the dark ending. Don't kill anybody, but here's this poison in case yeah. you run into, you know, a gorilla. <laughs> and they're like, don't kill anyone. And the first weapon they gave you was like a pistol, and then they gave you a, a, a grenade yeah, and I, stuff like It's kind of silly. <laughs> I kind of felt like it, it's an error in the way that they present that because um uh, so i played with a the high chaos playthrough and i felt like the ending that i got was was pretty satisfactory um it, you know it wasn't a situation where it's like a a bad ending you know uh, everyone dies and the planet explodes kind of thing it was just a, a little bit different kind of dark well you get more what more rats and more of those those crazy plague people if you go high chaos that's what i heard i haven't actually got to the later levels on my high chaos playthrough to expose that one thing I'm always interested in on games like this is not only how easy it is to play through the game using one mechanic or the other, but how easy is it to switch up, I want to say. Like, can you, do you, I haven't played Dishonored except for a little little bit of a hands-on preview. Can you approach most, you know, approach most levels going, you know, going in as an assassin, but then on this one level you decide to switch it up and play a different play style? Oh yeah, absolutely. You can do that whenever you please. If ever you get frustrated with sneaking, you can just go completely uh, gonzo and kill everyone. I mean, there are powers that you upgrade, but it's pretty easy to upgrade pretty much all of the powers, at least partially. So you can play pretty much, you can switch up your play style at any given time, which is kind of fun. 
You can unlock every single power in the game, but it's about uh, you may not be able to level them all up to their like you know utmost potential. Yeah. Do some levels tend more towards a particular approach than another? Not really. They're all like I guess there's one level in a party where it, it, it kind of urges you to not kill everyone, but you, you still this, can, and it's still a equally valid way of winning. You'd hate to splatter blood all over those nice, lovely evening gown dresses. It's a very pretty party, I'm not going to lie. It looks amazing. So it's kind of like, <laughs> oh, I don't want to mess up their party, but I did anyways. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a lovely spread, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the the only area where the game was a bit underwhelming was in terms of the characters. Yeah, it had all these big-name voice actors, but the character development was quite poor, and the actual plot was pretty bland. It was as far as revenge plots go, it wasn't anything very exciting. But on the plus side, the setting, Dunwall, is awesome. It's yeah, like that's... this crazy steampunk whaling town and it's it has a great backstory and it's just a really rich place to explore. It's too bad because I've I've heard that a lot. I've heard that the setting I was excited about the setting from the very first trailer. The setting really does look great and well fleshed out from a world building perspective. It's just you wish that they would do that same put that same amount of care into the plot and the characters. Yeah, absolutely. I felt like um, I, I felt like it got kind of hamstrung by their decision to use a silent protagonist. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I, I, I rarely find silent protagonists to be beneficial to to a game. Maybe some small exceptions for some older stuff like, you know, uh, Legend of Zelda kind of games. But uh, in this one, I felt like it was completely at odds with the rest of the story. You know, it, when you have a silent protagonist, he never really voices his opinion on anything. So you get lectured a lot by the other characters. You get told basically without them asking your opinion on anything here, you're going to go on this mission. You're going to kill this guy. Uh, go, go and, you know, just wave their hand at you. Go off. Go do your thing. Do what we asked. Do your bidding. Uh, so you, you feel, even though you're supposed to be this badass who's, you know, uh, got the whole town on edge, who's, who's killing everybody, you feel like a, you know, like a little bit of a errand boy, I think I felt like for parts of the game. I kind of agree with you on that silent protagonist edge. In fact, I'm surprised that they went silent protagonist for Dishonored. It, it didn't strike me as the kind of game where it would fit. And it was weird because, you know, uh, there was a, a mistake put on the IMDb, uh, IMDb page for the game uh, before it came out where they had uh, Josh Holloway, is his name, from Lost as the voice actor for Corvo. Yeah. And, um, you must yeah, have done a lot of work for that, Roy. <laughs> <laughs> I guess talk, the character talk about the, a ultimate, bit. the ultimate low-maintenance celebrity. Let's <laughs> you know. give us some grunts here and there. Yeah. So, but, so people were making that error. Throughout, like all the way up to maybe about a week before release. So I think for a lot of people, it'd be probably pretty surprising to have this silent protagonist now show up. And he's got, you know, a couple of lines of dialogue that you pick out. But really, other than that, all of the decisions you make are through either who you kill or not kill. Good, good. Well, let's see here. I know, Alex, I mean, uh, yeah, Alex, you said that you did another review. Nick, did you have a, a review? I don't uh, know. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did the Unfinished Swan. Oh, um, but you screwed up introducing so badly. Oh. <laughs> Everything connected to Unfinished Swan is just a big tragedy, I feel like. And go ahead, Nick, tell us about it. I, you know, I don't think it's, uh, the game itself is any kind of tragedy. I, you know, uh, the, the, I gave it a 60 out of, out of 100. Uh, to me, it's, it's a good game. Not, not a great game. Um, it makes a lot of poor decisions, I think, in, in just, the the design of it uh, at the onset that really kind of cut down its potential. Yeah, if you guys have seen the you know any preview material for this game, everything that they show is pretty much about uh, painting, 
Yeah, right. so um, it, it's a simple fairy tale. It's about uh, an orphan who uh, his one item that he was he kept from his uh, his late mother was a, an unfinished painting of a swan. Uh, and he goes to sleep one night. The swan gets out of the painting and it goes through a mysterious door. Uh, you follow it through, and then you become you come into this you know empty white world where uh, it's just a blank canvas. You can't see anything. There's no geometry. You've got no point of reference. You're just in like in limbo out you know in the ether. And um, so you throw these little orbs of paint out that splatter the environment, and then it reveals the underlying geometries that were actually there that you couldn't see. So walls and floors, and it, uh, the first area turns out you're in a garden. So there's this really neat bamboo and frogs, and uh, uh, there's a boardwalk with little cattails and stuff like that. And it's really pretty and scenic. But the problem is that's done in 15 minutes in the game. Uh, and it's really in all the preview material, that's what you got to see because it looks gorgeous and it's interesting and it's original. Um, and, uh, where the game goes from there is much less so. Uh, so after that initial area, that's so interesting and it really works with those themes of incompleteness and stuff like that, that the game has, has been really building up. You go from there to a, uh, an admittedly neat looking, uh, complex of buildings. It looks like a, a bit of a, a castle kind of environment, very fantasy, but it's all minimalistic and kind of creepy and solitary. But you throw balls of water now that crawl, uh, cause vines to appear that you can climb up. Uh, and then from there you go to an area that's entirely dark and you get attacked by spiders and you can be killed and it, you get those like red slash marks across the screen to show that you're being attacked. And what you do there is you throw balls of black paint, presumably against lanterns that make them light up and show you the way to go. And then the last area, you throw balls of paint against walls to create um, geometries that you can then extrude out of the walls to make climbing platforms and things like that. Um, so, you know, when I looked at what the game had going for, what I thought was really interesting was that painting mechanic, and I wanted to see how it would uh, work with the themes of incompleteness and regret and stuff like that. Uh, and, but then it turns out that really most of the game is is just you throwing balls of stuff at things to make stuff happen. And a lot of those things that you make happen aren't really that interesting. Like throwing a ball at a lantern to make it light up is not a fun game mechanic to do. Uh, running through pitch black environments where you can't see the ground in front of you, where you get stuck on things and you fall in holes and you can't tell what's going on as you're being attacked by spiders is not a fun game mechanic. It's not enjoyable to play. But it and, makes for uh, a great trailer. God, yeah, just pitch black. <laughs> you can't even tell what's going on. There you go. And um, and the last bit, while it's interesting, it, it doesn't seem to have any bearing to the rest of the game whatsoever. So it, basically, you get a game that has it has a really quaint fairy tale kind of thing going on. The story is well presented. The narrator is really charming and interesting to hear. Uh, but it's just it's a kind of a bit of a chore to play, which is a problem for a game that's two hours. You know. Um, that it, it, it jumps from mechanic to mechanic just as you get familiar with one, it's gone and you're on to the next one and they get less interesting as they go. How much uh, is it again? $15, which I felt was a little bit steep. Uh, yeah. I, like it's it. a game that I could recommend just for the experience and the visuals and the, the fairy tale story at more like seven ninety nine maybe kind of price range. Then I'd say I'd give it a wholehearted thumbs up. Go check it out. Cause, uh, like a single sit-down game. Yeah, it's a game that's worth looking at. It's a different game. It's not a game where you're shooting people in brown environments, you know, so uh, it, it's worth it to, to look at for that. But the um, experience isn't as well-rounded as I'd like it to have been. Good, good. Alex, you had one more review you said? I have two. Oh, go ahead. I did uh, XCOM Enemy Unknown. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Um, 
it was it was a little a little tricky um, because there has been a lot of uh, shall we say fans very excited for this remake. Um, Rabid, raving fans. Yeah, I, I, I was several people tell me that the original XCOM is hands down the best PC game ever created. <laughs> and you know what? I was reviewing this from a perspective of uh, never really been into the original. I, I played it a little bit, never really got very far. Uh, so this was, you know, okay, it's a remake for the modern audiences, if you will. So, you know, that's kind of the perspective that I was reviewing it from. And it it didn't really turn out that awesome. Um, I think a lot of the mechanics in place are fine, but it's not as complex as the original XCOM, while still as excruciatingly, punishingly difficult as the original was. <laughs> and that's kind of uh, where I landed with my opinion on it. <laughs> How do you mean not as complex? Were there any particular areas that they cut down or simplified? Oh yeah, for sure. There's, uh, you know, you can't customize your soldiers as much. You can only have the one base that you're working with and kind of living in. Only one base. Ooh. Versus the original where you could build multiple, and uh, yeah, you're only limited to like six people at most per mission. Versus the original where you can have like a whole bunch of people coming with you. And uh, the environments are very, very much the same. doesn't matter if you're in Africa or Canada. It's all the urban and, uh, you know, natural environments, they all look the same pretty much. That's sad because one thing I really did like about the original XCOM was actually the <coughs> wide variety of environments. Sometimes you would just be out, like, in the woods, if I remember right. Yeah, so here you have woods. You have a UFO crash site, and you have a, a city kind of environment, and they all look the same no matter where in the world you are. So, no, too bad. Hmm. From what I played of the demo, it was also kind of buggy and glitchy. Like the action cam would be facing in a strange direction, or you yeah, the camera to walls and stuff like that. The camera is kind of awkward, um, but most of the mostly my problems with the difficulty because the game is based. Uh, it's a turn-based game, obviously, and I'm no stranger to those. Having uh, grinded my teeth through uh, Jagged Alliance, and uh, but here it's all about percentages, you know. So you have a you have a cover system, so you put your units in cover, and then they have a certain percent chance to kind of hit the enemy with a shot. But the percentages are just so over the place. Uh, you know, 50% is more like 25, and everything else is kind of way too random, whereas uh, the AI also feels heavily favored in any kind of percentage shots. Uh, they can instantly kill your guys from the craziest of angles, even though your guys are in full cover. Um, mm. So that's kind of one of my bigger issues with it. Yeah, I can see that being really frustrating. There's nothing worse than like if looking at your guy and seeing that he's 100% behind cover and there's no possible way that he could be seen and the enemy's just picking him off like it's nothing. And through through cover as well. Uh, the guy the game doesn't have doesn't make any attempts to uh make the visuals match up with the numbers, if you will. So No, it's just, you there's get no physics to it. Yeah, you get shot through solid wall, no problem. Uh, you, you, yeah, you, you watch, yeah. I mean, you watch bullets go through objects, just so they can hit you. So it's not that much fun, I found. <laughs> Did you name all your characters off of uh, your friends? <laughs> no, because they would, does. they would die in the next mission. <laughs> <laughs> you need, I you heard need to pull people up. you don't like. <laughs> 
you need to pull an Oregon Trail and name them after particular celebrities who you just don't care for, like Justin Bieber or the Olsen Twins or what have you. I also did uh, Forza Horizon. How was Forza? It was excellent. It was good. It was uh, really unexpectedly good, given that all they tried to do was to take a simulation-based racing series and bring it to the arcade world. And uh, not only did they succeed in that, they made it open world and one of the better open world racing games in a long time. Open world racing? Uh, I haven't done this in a little while, but describe that to me. You mean- well, not since, uh, what, Burnout Paradise, maybe? And uh, what other games come to mind? Well, Test Drive Limited. Yeah, but that's a little less known. Test Drive Limited does that as well. Yeah, but, but uh, yeah, I'm kind of confused on what it means. So you mean so? You mean like a race can begin and you just have a start and end point? No, no. Uh, what it means is uh, you get to explore the world. So you drive around, you explore the roads. Although in this game, it's not really anything that affects the gameplay, but you can you know mark down which roads you've already explored. Uh, so you find races out in the open world, and you do those, and then you find outposts so that you can actually teleport between them. Otherwise, you have to drive everywhere to all the race starts and things like that. Hmm. And they have sort of collectibles and things like that, maybe. Yeah, the, the, not not too much. They probably should have done more. You can find like wrecked cars, which you can restore, and they're like you know classic cars. Oh. Uh, you can actually use in races like regular cars, and you, you have cool. the uh, depth of car customization from Forza 4, although it's not as detailed, and the, actually the car selection is not as great as well, it's still really pretty darn good regardless. Now, there were microtransactions in this, aren't there? I, I'd heard some rumblings about that. No, there isn't. Just, uh, you know, releasing new cars via DLC. Oh, that's what, does it? Does the game suggest for you to buy the DLC? I heard someone no. talking about that. No, not at all. It's just, right. I mean, for those, like I mentioned, the cars that you can find out in the open world, the game kind of gives you a, a circle of where the car is. You kind of have to drive around that area until you find it. And the only DLC is you can buy a map with real money that tells you where all these cars are exactly instead of having to find them. So oh, that's it. Yeah, but I mean that's kind of like you know buying cheat codes if you want to fast forward your progress. And yeah, uh, and you okay. can you can buy money with oh sorry you can buy cars with uh, what they call tokens, which is something that you buy with real money. But okay, that, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, but you don't have to by any means. The the game is I mentioned that in the review. It's just adamant and throwing cash at you. So I don't see why anyone would ever want or need to use real money. Hmm. You can always win more. Exactly. Like I said, the game is almost unbalanced in how much money it gives you. So. Oh, cool. Good, good. Moving on to news around the industry. First item on the line, IDN might be being sold for a $500 million loss, which seems to be quite a bit, especially when considering that their current going price is about $100 million. So IGN, unfortunately, has turned out to be a very bad investment for the original buyers. Yeah, that'd be uh, News Corp. Uh, Fox News, Rupert Murdoch, uh, the owner of Fox News and such. Um, uh, I, as my, my suspicion with this was that the initial valuation for them that News Corp put down at $650 million was probably a little bit too much. 
Um, so I don't know that it's necessarily that IGN has really has plummeted from what they were before or anything like that, as much as they were bought for probably a, a bit too high. Um, but the hundred $100 million dollar value kind of surprised me a little bit because my reaction to that is that they're a top 500 website. Uh, they have this, they hit this key demographic between like 18 and 35 males. That's, that's so great for, for, uh, purchasing and that so many people try to target. So you would think they'd be worth a little bit more. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? I wonder, well, I look at this and really the fact that I wish I had at my fingers right now that I, I just couldn't find was, I wonder how much GameSpot is worth. Cause I've always, you know, I, I always assumed that IGN was, you know, higher up on the website ranking than, really than most other video game news sites. And I was wondering whether this bodes, you know, is this just a particular case of, oh, IGN happened to be a little overrated, or is this just that people thought video game news in general would be worth more? Yeah, that's a very good question that I can't answer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think their new uh, article there kind of helped their uh, evaluation. you, You think it helped? Well, no, I, can't, I don't no. think it did. It's pretty hideous. Wait, remind me what the what the story was there with the new article you said. Oh, it's this is the new layout for all the articles. It's really wide and it's it's ugly. iPad friendly, is what it is. Ew. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it's gotta be. Everyone's trying to get their tablet formats down now. It's the wave of the future. Isn't that ah. sad? Oh, but it's true. Well, I, I, I'm glad they're making some changes, but uh, what, what I saw with IGN was, I think, it's a microcosm of what the rest of the, the industry sort of struggles with, which is that nobody has a really, they're all fumbling to try to figure out how to monetize what they have here. You know, they've, they've got their base, they've got millions and millions of viewers, but I think they have, they're, they're, it's in the 20s, they're at like 23 or 28 million viewers, and they can't figure out how to get those people to to give them money. Well, that's not true. How to get money through ads from those viewers. That's not necessarily true. They're trying to figure out how to make more money because they're obviously not operating at a loss. Um, They're just basically trying to expand sideways as much as possible by offering, you know, all kinds of random video series and and random features and stuff like that and, you know, putting ads in front of all their YouTube videos. Oh, yeah, no, it's not something where I, I think that they're they're hemorrhaging cash or anything like that. But for the, just for the amount, the sheer numbers that they're operating with, it's surprising that they have they're not just rolling in in you know um, in Valve cash. You know, it really is. Yeah, it's especially sad because you know, I, I think it's actually pretty obvious that the market is there. The video game industry really has just grown and grown and grown, and it looks like it's just going to get even bigger. So. You know the yeah the the market of video game information in journalism it's not going to go away. It's only going to get better. Or yeah, I think they just need to figure it out. Or it might get worse in the case of X Play and Attack of the Show being canceled. I'm so glad you brought those uh, brought those up. (laughs) This to me came totally out of the blue. To tell the truth, I was never well, I was never a big fan of Attack of the Show, but you know I thought X Play was okay. I'm really surprised that they're canceling both of these shows like this. I don't find it too surprising. Uh, you know, if you remember, Adam Sessler and Kevin Pereira both left in 
strange circumstances a few months back. So I think the writing was on the wall with this, that big changes were coming down the line. And that was kind of confirmed with the news that um, G4 was going to be trying to rebrand itself as kind of a new, uh, like a GQ sort of, you know, modern men's lifestyle sort of network. Do you think uh, you know, we see, haven't had those changes come down yet, but do you think they see video games as I want to say too juvenile? Is that what, the, is that what they're going for? Or are you just not sophisticated enough to be in a real man's network or what? I feel like, you know, all of this information, if you want to get up-to-date video game news and stuff like that, it's it's right there on the internet for you. And uh, I, I think, you know, not necessarily maybe that TV shows can't do that, but they just don't know how yet. And you know, these shows clearly were losing their audiences. People weren't going to attack of the show for tech news necessarily when you could get it on Gizmodo or Lifehacker or, you know, sites like that or CNET. And um, X-Play, you know, why, why wait for a video review there when you can go and get it midnight as it comes out at whatever, you know, your website of choice? It's true. I guess the demographic for who would be watching those types of shows would probably be even more inclined to just get that kind of information online. Yeah, that's my thought, too. Tech-savvy tech young men. Oh, yeah. I guess you're right when it comes to that. Uh, although, as we mentioned earlier... I think uh, one of the issues here is that in order to make TV shows work with readily available information like that, the TV show really needs to be focused around character and personality and the mode of delivery. I know, uh, I know that for book reviews and movie reviews and things like that, when I follow a reviewer, it's not because oh, it's not because they put out the review fast or they put out an accurate review. It's because I like that reviewer's personality or I like the interplay between the reviewers. The example I keep coming to mind is that I really do like watching the old episodes of Siskel and Ebert. Granted, mm-hmm. I don't know I don't know if you could still do that kind of show today with the internet, but it's just a thought. I, I think you're onto something with the interplay because I, I think they had personalities on, you know, on Attack of the Show and uh, on, on X-Play. Sessler and, and Webb were definitely personalities. But there, there was no real, there's no drama from any kind of, content, you know, uh, uh, argument or, or, you know, or banter back and forth or anything like that. There was no difference of opinion. Basically, they had their idea of review, they presented it, and you watch it, and you take it in. You know, where, where I think you've seen, especially in the news industry in the States, now with this 24-hour news cycle, uh, they've the way that they've gotten their money now and the way they've gotten their views is by having uh, debate. They have a lot of personalities. They have a lot of arguments. It goes back and forth. It's very heavy on editorial, uh, you know, really, really big, strong opinions arguing with each other. Right. And it's the way that it goes. It's informed opinions talking to each other about something right as it's happening. If we had, if we had people talking about dishonored with a variety of opinions, all of whom who had played the game or at least accessed it to, to a good degree, and you know they were talking about Dishonored right during the time that it was popular. You know the month the month or so after it came out. Mm-hmm. Well, there there's a Canadian show where they have called Reviews on the Run, where there's always two reviewers and they always talk about the game and often they disagree and they kind of they'll, they'll kind of argue about it and talk about it and then they'll come to a consensus at the end. And I kind of like that style of doing it because you get different opinions on it, not just one person's angle. It's one of those areas that's it's trickier to do with video games than movies, I want to say, or than books. Because video games take a, are it takes more effort to to go through a video game. Usually, it takes a larger time effort. I guess the only area where it would be easier to have multiple opinions on a video game is on a multiplayer game or co-op. Hmm. 
I see like um, I see a lot of parallels to the way that we have uh, sports broadcasting, you know, sports commentary done in the states here, where you have this this constant cycle every single day of uh, you know you get your sports center, but then they do a couple shows. They do PTI, which has two guys butting heads over every single sports issue and, and talking about the weird, interesting stories that go on. And then they have a show called like Around the Horn on ESPN, where it's like they get a, a bunch of talking heads, four guys that go at each other, and they have one host, and he gives them points for how well they're how how worthwhile their opinions are on certain oh. issues. Oh dear! And they, they they eliminate each other like tournament style until they one gets to be a champion and then he gets to talk about whatever he wants for a ew, little bit. Ew, ew. <laughs> I, I feel so torn because in in my head I, I want to say this is what I hate about modern television, but at the same time I realize that you could probably pull in a lot of viewers by doing that. Imagine if you really were you, you had a panel talking about video games and they were really really argumentative, you know. <laughs> Which console was the best? Which console should you should you play on? And everyone was extremely opinionated in their take <laughs> on games. And some of them, some of them loved Duke Nukem Forever, and some of them just <laughs> some some of them thought that the XCOM was the worst game created. And that's what we need. That that'll bring in the viewers. I, I think we've got an idea here. I think we could. Have, no no viewer, no listeners should take this idea. I called it, but we need to pitch this where we can and we can get like different. Uh, contributors, we can go to like guys from different websites and just get all guest personalities to come in and just scream at each other and about our opinions on Dishonored. <laughs> this is this is a case where our listeners can help us. Everyone, write down a name or email address or something of the most opinionated gamer you know, and send it to us. <laughs> and if I think that, this is a great idea. If that doesn't work, we, just, we can rope in some uh, we can rope in some comment trolls from YouTube or something. Yeah, exactly. Might be obliged. Yeah. All right. As long as we're talking about sad news in the industry, if if people are ready to go on, or did someone have another comment? Go. Let's, Let's do roll it. on. Uh, sad news in the industry, or signs of uh, people toning back a little. Zynga is going through layoffs, and apparently their stock has been plummeting down. Yeah, there's there's nothing that sad about Zynga falling apart really <laughs> yeah. i you know i feel bad for the for the developers that are working there but that that company is the closest thing that we have to like an evil empire in the gaming industry i really feel that way i feel like zynga in in, in every media <laughs> right, i'm going to wax eloquent for a moment here but bear, bear with me it, it'll be worth it. it it's worked so well so far in the podcast yeah, there we go. Why, why don't you introduce the unfinished swan again? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, you're going to have an unfinished swan in a little while. All right, no, forget okay. it. Okay. Hey, in every media, you know, every media that I lo- that I love, it feels like there's a company out there that is deliberately making trashy versions of it, and those are the only ones my friends know. Every now and then, I talk to like an older generation or my aunts or uncles or parents about video games and the first thing that comes to mind is oh you mean like farmville and this <laughs> really gets under my skin and it feels like zynga is devoted to making that kind of game to make it, it is it's 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 literally like codified in their mission statement their their, their goal is to find better ideas from other companies and and use leverage their uh their already large market into outproducing those competitors. Do they have a special yeah. connection with Facebook? I mean, they are there are other Facebook game developers, right? But do they only produce games for Facebook, or do they make them elsewhere as well? I mean, they they own a few well. other. Yeah, because they own um, they owned the the Words with Friends uh, developer. They bought them out. Um, so I think they have their share in you know, a little bit of mobile games, but there's they're 
intricately tied to Facebook. The the reason that part of the reason that their stocks have been failing is because uh, Facebook's design changes have uh, brought the the Zynga games a little bit lower in in profile. I don't have a Facebook account, so I don't really know the specifics of this, but uh, they it's a little bit harder to get to them. They're 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 having trouble making sales and having people buy like the little microtransactions in their games, uh, and that that's affected their stock. No, I agree with that. I think I, I want to say if the public punishes you, it's your own fault. Yeah, I, I think people are are kind of maybe getting sick of having their feeds spammed by you know your so and so just planted a crop of carrots and stuff like that. Um, maybe they've moved on to greener pastures. I don't know. Could be. Oh, pun. All right. The new topic, just because we are pushing time just a little. Sony ends its agreement with the developers of Starhawk. I never really played this game. Can someone tell me what it is? So, uh, have an, has anyone here played Warhawk or isn't yep. familiar with it at all? So, Starhawk is essentially Warhawk 2.0, except now in space. In uh, space! If you know the meme, oh, but if you don't... Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, I actually thought it was a really great game. Uh, they introduced a great mechanic called uh, Build and Battle, where they brought in RTS features like dropping down buildings that, you know, can produce units and vehicles and stuff like that into a third-person shooter, um, a la Warhawk. Same same sort of mechanics and stuff like that. Uh, it was pretty original. I thought it worked really well. I was impressed with the way that the developer handled, handled uh, you know, community relations and stuff like that. They were very active. They talked a lot to their, their customers. Uh, all of their DLC was free. Uh, and they, they rushed it out, and they, they did a really good job with it. Um, but... Uh, all turned out to be for naught, and uh, I have to think it's because uh, they really didn't market the game at all. I mean, you guys aren't haven't really heard of it, right? No, unfortunately, no. It sounds I good. Heard the name, but yeah, that's about it. Yeah, and that was the problem with it. It, it kind of got released, just it left out there to die. Uh, you, there were no real commercials, no advertisements. I, I didn't see anything around the city for it, so it, it kind of got uh, unheralded, and uh, it really, I think, suffered a lot for that. It's too bad. I'm I guess they're supposed to make a, a series, but uh, not going to happen now. Yeah, it's a real shame. I don't know. feel bad for it. Dylan Job is the, the head of that studio. He's a, Follow him on Twitter. He's a really good guy. So it was a real bummer to see him. He, he was out drinking the night after they got the news. Uh, to his credit, they were really good, I think, about the the cancel, the cancel closure of the studio. Well, actually, they're, I shouldn't say closure. What yeah, they're no, actually doing, they're, they're okay. They're, they're, doing, they're doing iOS games now. Yeah. But, uh, they have to lay off. They, have, they had to lay off, I think, like 24 people from their their staff. But they they gave them a week's notice. They gave them a severance package. So good, you know, good on them. Started with Warhawk, moved on to Starhawk. You said they were going to make possibly make a series out of it. That's what people are hoping for. So we could have gotten like Warhawk two, Warhawk three, maybe or Cakehawk. I was going to say World Hawk. of Warhawk. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> moving on to a new topic there, Star Wars: The Old Republic. Uh, we already knew it was already free-to-play, but now they have made things just a little bit tastier for free-to-play players. They've relaxed some <clears throat> restrictions across the board. Comments on uh, this? Nope. Kind of the opposite. <laughs> what? No, I thought, let's hear. Don't they get, don't players have, like, uh, they get, what, more planetary jumps now per system? More slots for free-to-play players? Isn't that it? No, oh, I, I, mean, I don't play uh, the Old Republic, but I gathered that they, they were adding new restrictions to the free-to-play model so that it's actually kind of not feasible to do it. Come I mean, on, I'm, guys, I'm going through the list here. <laughs> See here, sorry. Uh, I'm, go- I'm going through the list here, and they, it's so now you can only 
speak once a minute. Like the what? talk function is limited. That's ridiculous. Oh, okay. Uh, it looks like yeah, they've they've unlocked one or two gameplay things, but yeah, here's here's the chat and general stuff here. So, uh, general chat trade PVP limited to one message per minute on a shared timer. All vendors have their credit commendation prices increased by an additional 25% of the subscriber cost for free-to-play players. Uh, two character slots per server. No trading with other players. Can't send mail. No slash who usage. Wow. Uh, no rest experience. No access to section X. Cannot expand inventory by tabs. Etc. 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 You know, the I thing, I mean, don't get me wrong, I understand why they're making it more restrictive. I get it. Get people on with free-to-play and then try to get them to move out. But the thing is, when it's when the restrictions are this widespread and spread out, I'm wondering how many people are going to notice them. You know, it feels to me like on free-to-play, there's got to be some obvious thing. You know, if I'm playing a free-to-play game and I say, okay, what do I get if I start paying? I need like a one or two sentence explanation. You know, so it, it looks to me like the, the single player is relatively undisturbed for free-to-play. So maybe that's the idea of it. So you can, you can get on this game and you can do single player and you can get the, the story. But if you want to do any sort of interaction with other players, then you've got to pay for it. Maybe that's it. So maybe they just say yeah. you get a much better, you get a much better multi-game experience, multiplayer experience. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a little bit out of line with what I've seen from other free-to-play models. I don't I don't know that there's anything inherently wrong about it. It's just surprising to me. You get to MMO in an MMO after you pay. <laughs> Hooray! All right, and to uh, to finish up the news around the industry, the PS3 has been rehacked again, and so apparently uh, we've already hacked hacked the PS3 once, and now it's going down again. But more permanently, it sounds like. Is this heralding yeah, they... the end of this generation of consoles? You think? Do you think we're gonna have to push for the PS4 now, so to speak? Well, okay, you're kind of blowing it out of proportion here, considering the fact that Xbox has been hacked since like the first month, and <laughs> uh, compared to the PS3, which took a couple of years for that to come out, and even still now, you're not gonna find very many PS3 versions of uh, games on illegal download sites. It's all. Xbox 360, so... I yeah, think, I think they, did, very early. they did well, granted, what the Xbox has to put up with. Like, so, well, so the it, Xbox was hacked really early. Has it really made a difference in the experience on the Xbox versus the PS3 where this hasn't happened that much? Well, no, it's not about the experience, but we're just talking about which system has it better, I guess. And, you know, who's losing more money on legal downloads? <laughs> that, mm. that would be Microsoft. Oh, yeah. It's like I I don't even care, you know. Uh, myself, it, if they hack it, they hack it. It's it's Microsoft's problem to worry about, and uh, you know if it doesn't have any co- you know actual consequence for the players, then it's okay. As long as the PSN stays up and I can keep playing my games, it's all good to me. Yeah. All right, that wraps up the news around the industry. Moving on to the closing section of the episode, aside from questions, rumors, and other areas of discussion. Waiting, sweetheart. Just waiting. Seriously? If you know the quote, you're going to be so awesome. I don't. Anyone? Wait, what quote? Waiting, sweetheart. Just waiting. Ocean's Eleven, but it's... No, most, it's no, I'm, not, I'm not as obsessed with that movie as you are, I guess. <laughs> Everyone should be obsessed with that movie. It's not a bad movie, but... Oh, it's such a good movie. But 
All right, now for some non-industry-related interesting topics to sort of chat about real quick. First they off, are industry-related. Well, yeah. you know what I mean. What's the word I'm looking for? These, uh, I want to the say other, other the section. others, the non-fiscal topics. Yes. The personal section. That's what this would be. Personal. personal. If we were a newspaper, this would be the, you know, you open the newspaper, you get the politics page, the sports page, and you get the one that's called, like, life or people <laughs> and culture. <laughs> this is the people and culture page. Sweet. And what and what doesn't get more into people and culture than the fact that we have an interview with Pamela Horton from Playboy up on the New Game Network right now? Yeah, check it out. Um, people on Facebook were quite happy to see that. Potentially, <laughs> potentially because of the thumbnail, but you know, <laughs> there's always that potential. Yeah, I thought it actually made for a very interesting read. If anything, because. I find it very. Uh, let's see here. I gotta, how can I word this right? Carefully. No, oh, yeah, very carefully, very carefully. <laughs> uh, let's see. I wasn't expecting. No, no, no. Oh, okay, I've got it. I've got it. You ready for this? I was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> Sexist. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Dang it. Anita Sarkeesian is in the backgrounds on this one, just waiting to scream at me. Let's put it this way. Pa- Pamela Horton is not simply a model who played a video game once, but rather she knows her stuff on video games, and that was very pleasant to find out. Yes. Although, um, myself, I was actually hoping for, I guess, uh, longer and maybe more in-depth replies, but nonetheless, thanks to them for taking their time. Even Even little things like the fact that she see her brought up on the good bread and butter of Legend of Zelda when she was little it doesn't get much more official video game culture than that question I really liked was the last one which asked her did she think that she was going to go on with a modeling career right now or go into a career in gaming and she made an interesting point there she said in gaming she kind of liked the idea of doing character design and I suddenly realized oh that's probably an area where these two cultures actually go together very well are you saying that games are overly abundant on Playboy-like material? <laughs> gamers like Playboy? I'm having a hard time with the connection here. No, no, no. I'm saying uh, I was I was trying to think where a good area between these two cultures connects, and character design is actually one. Like I just realized, uh, and I remember this now. Game companies hire fashion designers because for you know, for character design, really. And they have to. They really do. Because <clears throat> gamers and programmers and game engineers, they don't know how people are supposed to dress. <laughs> That's the truth of it. You're not wrong. Uh, See, other rumors or interesting areas. Microsoft tracks back on removing rated end games in European stores. Just to follow up from our last episode, uh, we mentioned that with the new lockdown app store or whatever the Microsoft is putting into Windows 8, um, they were planning to ban Peggy 18 games in Europe, which is equivalent to M in uh, North America. And that obviously got a lot of people upset, and they, uh, I guess, backtracked on that decision. So you can buy both 16 and 18 rated games on the European Microsoft store. Not that there's, you know too many games to choose from anyways. I'm sure people can use Steam or anything else, really, <laughs> than Microsoft Store, but yeah. 
I think video games are kind of this weird area of we've grown up out of the parents in the 1990s attacking and thinking that video games were ultimate evil, but we're still a little unsure about things like M-rated games and how we're supposed to treat them. Do they get, you know, do we organize games according to rating or something in, in little stores or stores that don't have many games? In a kind of weird way, I feel like Apple could get away with <laughs> with removing all the M games from their shelves if they had any, but Microsoft can't. <laughs> so Actually, Speaking of which, um, it's my understanding that last week or this week or soon, GameStop is going to open a store across the United States that's called GameStop for Kids. Oh, you beat me to it. I was going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah. What is happening there? I I honestly don't know. I'm kind of shocked. We don't have video stores for kids. We don't have bookstores for kids, or, I don't know, maybe we do. Maybe as a, maybe later on we'll get adult <clears throat> video game stores. You know how there's adult movie stores? Oh, maybe, no. Oh, shut your mouth. Maybe that'll come, <laughs> come along down the road. <laughs> the Leisure suit, suit Larry, again. Anyhow, it's kind of interesting. I, 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 don't, yeah, I want to see what happens. I want to see if they can get away with it. It's making it into a separate store instead of a separate area of the game store. They're just monopolizing without monopolizing... No, well, to, uh, that's what we need. Steam for kids. Steam for kids. <laughs> yeah. All right. Then there's apparently been a big controversy about video game journalism in general. Now, I don't know. I only read about half of the associated article. but That's apparently, a shame. You have to read it all. I'll, I'll read the whole thing. But apparently, let's see. Someone fill me in on the details here. We had a case of a video game reporter who was muscled into changing his article. Was that the story? That's the By, second basically. part of the story. By the makers? What was the video game that he was talking about? Well, it wasn't... Well, let's, let's start from the very yeah. beginning here. Yeah. Um, because this is a... This is a this is like a hundred-page thread on NeoGAF. Uh, the whole internet's been ablaze with this thing. It started out with um, Jeff Keighley uh, w- uh, did a kind of a pseudo-interview uh or I think another gaming website where uh, they it was purported to be asking him about upcoming releases and events and stuff like that, and it kind of turned out to be a bit of a shill job for um, uh, a Mountain Dew and Doritos uh, tie-in for for Halo 4, where if you buy them, you get extra experience, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is a a beautiful, beautiful still image from the interview. It's 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 Jeff <laughs> Keighley, just dead eyed, just 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 no expression on his face, just looking like the saddest, angriest man in the whole world, sitting Correct. next to you like, every time. Get like eight Mountain Dews on one side, and then a whole bag of Doritos, and they're like arranged on these like black covered tables, like centrally presented, and a giant Halo Four poster, and he's just sitting there, just arms folded, just. <laughs> uh, like he wants to be anywhere else in the world <laughs> at that moment, and um, so uh, coinciding with this was the the GMAs, the the Games Media Awards, uh, which uh, for anyone who doesn't know is it's a, a, a an event that's put on by PR folks um, uh, to awards games award games media people that uh, they feel have done exceptional jobs of writing or podcasting and things like that. But but it's a it's a PR event. So there's there's games media people, there's there's writers, there's bloggers, but there's also a lot of PR folks, and PR folks vote on it. So it's considered by some to be a bit of a uh, 
uh, a farce, I guess, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're going to reward people, they say, who, uh, you know, promote games the best, not necessarily who are the best writers or who have the most, you know, uh, sharp opinions on things. This word area uh, between and, be- best reporter or best salesman. Yeah, exactly. So the people who treat the PR people right. Uh, and uh, so a writer for Eurogamer, a guy who has a regular, a regular column on there, I think it's called Lost Humanity, uh, named uh, Robert Florence, put together a, an article where he was criticizing both of these things, Jeff, the Jeff Keighley piece and the, the Games Media Awards for a few different things. He wasn't really attacking anyone in particular. For He didn't accuse anyone of being uh, a shill or of, of being corrupt or of you know, letting PR dollars affect their opinions. But uh, during the GMA event, uh, a bunch of games journalists and PR folks were encouraged to tweet with a hashtag for a particular game. Uh, the, the hashtag was defiant, so if they if they put this in their tweets and they kind of advertised for it, and they had a chance to win a new PS3. Oh. And uh, many many game journos uh, did did do this, and uh, some kind of ironically, but sort of serious. And uh, a few of them put it. You know, a guy said, "Oh, I've already got three PS3s, but I could use another," and he tweeted it, kind of advertised for this thing. Kind of came off looking pretty bad. Uh, so Robert Florence in his article kind of criticizes, criticizes all of this. They called out a few people in particular for this who either tweeted with the hashtag or who defended the people who tweeted with the hashtag. Uh, one of them was, uh, oh, God, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to get the name right, Lauren Wainwright, I believe. Uh, and she turned right around and uh, I, I think alleged libel at him. Kind of, uh, it's unclear whether or not the she or the PR company, uh, Intent Media, I think MCV, MCV uh, yeah. threatened Eurogamer. Yeah, threatened Eurogamer with a, a lawsuit or some sort of libel charge. Uh, they said they didn't. Robert Florence says they did. It's a little bit sketchy, but Eurogamer ended up uh, editing out those portions of his article where he mentioned names. Uh, Lauren Wainwright, uh, Dave Cook was the other one. And um, it became a, a big, he resigned uh, from his position in a bit of disappointment, I guess. Uh, it, he does, it doesn't seem like he was forced out, but I think it seems he, he quit voluntarily, but uh, was out of a job either way. And uh, the Internet got a hold of it, and like with many things in the Internet, it became this giant uh, building-upon-itself disaster of people going after Lauren and saying all this misogynist stuff and debate over it and journalism corruption. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a mess. A huge mess. I'm a, I'm a little mixed. Oh boy, yeah, this is a tough area because it's. I think it's an area that people haven't really had to pay too much attention to recently. That, on the one hand, you know, you, you have the right to sue for libel. <laughs> you know, and uh, journalists do have to protect their protect their careers. You know, on what they're saying, but you can't you can't attack people for really not liking what you're saying or, or what it, uh, how, how you report. It, it, yeah, the, the, so the strange thing about this was, so I'm in the States, so I don't really know much about this. If, if only Pete were here, maybe he could comment. But I gather that um, UK libel laws are a little bit uh, heavy-handed. So you can basically go through the court process with these things on very little information. I've heard some people say, and I don't know the, if this is true or not, but that 90% of them are awarded to the uh, the person who alleges that they were uh, the victim mm. uh, in these cases. So if you if you charge somebody with libel, then you, you've got a great chance of getting it going to court. Uh, you've got a great chance of big expenses coming for the people that you charge with. So the it, it's it's very easy to get libel charges. So if that was alleged, then it would be uh, the smart move for Eurogamer to to pull the few paragraphs just to avoid the legal charges that would come from it. 
Um, I gather it's a lot more serious over there. Uh, in the States, it, it's much harder to get a libel charge on somebody. There really has to be a lot of evidence for it. You have to have, you know, done your homework and had all of your ducks in a row, so to speak, to make sure that you can get the charge to go through. Um, so it's a little bit strange. It's unclear about it. nothing that he said was libelous from what I read. You know, I looked at the unedited piece before it went up. And basically, he, he said what Lauren said in her tweets. Uh, she was defending the people that were using the hashtag. And he, he pointed out, rightfully so, that uh, her, her Twitter background was a giant Tomb Raider image. Mm. Uh, looked sponsored, you know. So he's saying, all right, so I see this person who's defending this action, and I see that she has a giant Tomb Raider image there. And he's like, and he said, I don't think she's corrupt. But you look at it and you think, this is weird, this is suspicious. And his larger point was that, you know, we as journalists need to be aware of how we come off with these things. Uh, which I think is a legitimate point to make, yeah. um, and not not libelous at all. I think he can get a, he can get away with it as long as yeah, what he was saying was this looks suspicious, rather than from these I deduce that this journalist has been paid off by so and so. You know that could yeah. be libelous. Actually... Yeah, I think he was really careful about the way he phrased it. It, it. it seemed like it was coming from a place of concern for the industry, not necessarily a attack on any one person. If you actually finish reading that article, Evan, um, you'll see that uh, this Lauren person has, in fact, worked for Square Enix and a bunch of other companies. And uh, after this went kind of viral, she actually went back and removed all that stuff. So you kind of wonder, yeah, what happened there. Now, we're not saying that she's done anything bad, just that that's a little suspicious. It it looked bad. We're saying that. It It looked bad. We're allowed to say that, yeah. Yeah, the you know I, the issue with this was, and I, I think people were right to point out that it, it got a bit muddled, and you know people like to vilify uh, people on the internet. So I think a lot of people got kind of unduly focused on on this uh, Lauren Wainwright, and were kind of going after her and kind of digging through her garbage and trying to find all of the examples of her being, you know, her reviews being compromised. She worked for Square Enix in the past, and she had reviewed some of their games and products and uh what i think the larger point was just that you know to be careful of this kind of thing um you know to not put yourself in a compromising position where even if you don't think that your your reviews or your writing is compromised by your connections to pr folk that you should be aware of how it comes off to other people you always got to be very very careful one day you're sitting on top of the world and the next day you know all six Tour de France medals have been stripped from you (laughs) exactly yeah the greater issue here i think um, has to do with kind of exposing this dark relationship that uh, PR people have with uh, game sites, really. And unfortunately, I don't think that... I mean, it's good that this happened. Obviously not for some people, but for the industry as a whole, it's nice that this came to light. Um, I don't know if it's going to make any difference uh, about how kind of this business is more about who you know rather than anything else. Uh, just speaking from the fact of running uh, New Game Network for the past four years, it's definitely uh, a case of uh, not exactly being fair or judging people or publications based on their readership, but rather it's previous relationship or uh, outside of work relationship that uh, actually gets you things that you need to do your job versus, uh, you know, oh, I'm friends with this guy, so I'm going to send him games and even though he's not going to do anything with them, things like that. It's 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 frustrating for those of us who uh, aren't invited to GMAs. <laughs> not not quite in that, not quite in in that circles that deep. 
um, you know, kind of an outside view of things. It's definitely something that is, is both frustrating and uh, can be and is quite unfair a lot of the times. But, you know, you, you kind of sit back and you work hard, and one day you hope that uh, your hard work will get you there rather than, you know, greasing palms. Uh, I was going to say, it, it was a really interesting read for me. I mean, as somebody who's, you know, kind of just wading his way into this industry right now, I'm, I'm, I'm still a bit new to it. Uh, but, you know, I've, I've been to E3, I've been to a few press events like this, and, you know, you see the journalists, you know, uh, for lack of a better word, you know, they come up in their sponsored cars that PR people have provided, and you see the exclusives that they get and things like that. And it's, it's your kind of a, the outside looking in, and uh, it, it's a little bit strange. Um, but I, I thought even, you know, at the position that I'm at, that it was, it's a good lesson to have, I think, early on in this, because I think transparency is important. So, you know, if you, you know, you get swag, I've got T-shirts and little toys and trinkets and things like that. And, uh, you know, you, you tell yourself, like, all right, this doesn't affect my opinion or anything like that. But, uh, you know, who knows what the subconscious does. So I think the important thing to do is to say, hey, I got this thing. I don't think it affects, you know, my opinion on this. I went to this PR event. They had us ride on go-karts or whatever. And you put that information out there and you let the readers be the judge of it. Uh, because they're the ones that are going to decide, like, well, I don't think I can trust this person's opinion if he was riding, you know, if he was flying in a helicopter for the new Call of Duty game. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, because, you know, you may not think that it affects you, but, you know, who really knows? Um, I, I mentioned in Twitter, I had a little back and forth, but the, I was saying, I, I always feel uncomfortable with this stuff. You know, even when I, if I get, like, a T-shirt, it, it makes me feel weird. If I go to a press event, it's strange. I don't. I get weirded out when I get treated like really kindly by PR people and stuff like that. And I think that's kind of a good thing because if you feel uncomfortable with it, then it's you're never going to go any further than that. I'm not going to take it any further than just getting a T-shirt or something like that because it's going to completely weird me out. You know? Yes, that's why we like to have you. Where, where do you stand up for the right side, Nick and Alex, both of you, martyrs to the cause? That's what you are. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, for one, hereby state clearly and openly, game companies, if you give me a ride in a helicopter, I will give you a good review. There you go. <laughs> You're fired. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I said, I, I give good reviews. I give I give 9.5 out of 10s for uh, shiny rocks and back rubs. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, ew. All right, moving on. <laughs> oh, God. All right, should we wrap up the episode with some listener questions? Let's do it up. What are the ramifications of Steam coming to Linux? Uh, some of the questions that were asked on top of this, do you think big publishers and developers are going to be willing to limit their DRM in order to make Linux ports? Or do you think that it's just going to be indie games are going to end up being on there? Um, as it was asked in the question, will it just be a bastion of indie games? Or do you think that the introduction of some DRM is on Unix systems is going to be a good idea, or is that going to suddenly open up a floodgate of DRM? Let's talk about it. Well, I kind of feel that with Windows 8 coming in, and I, I know it has some more limitations about what games can uh, get onto Windows, I think it might end up with a, more of an indie focus, at least at first, ending up on Linux. That's kind of what makes sense to me, at least. I think it definitely will. I, Linux, from the experience that I've had with it, is simply not a place for tightly controlled markets. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of 
pirate, not not pirate. Well, there's a lot of piracy going around on Linux. There's a lot of freeware going around on Linux, and, and Linux users are very, very used to this. They're very Linux users are very used to getting uh, open source software, and you know games that are just out there, and freeware games and share and shareware games. I think if Steam is going to get onto Linux, it's going to need to use it as a niche slash special market. You know, mm-hmm. it can't. Go to Linux and say, and we're going to implement DRM because you know we need to keep tabs on. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I, I'm not really sure why the question is asking um, the companies would have to limit their DRM to make Linux ports. I don't see how that connects. Uh, why would they do that? I mean, I'm sure they can make DRM just the same as they have on Windows for a Linux system. Yeah. Um, are there limitations around it? Like, are they not allowed to uh, create? Comprehensive DRM on Linux? No, I'm sure they can. I guess the question is, would they bother to versus just putting the game out there at all? That's the thing. I don't think they would. Yeah. I mean, does does Linux appeal more to that kind of... I know nothing at all about Linux. (laughs) Linux. I'm the least person qualified to talk about this, but does it appeal more to that kind of... Maybe that sort of hacker kind of do-it-yourself kind of crowd that might maybe will be a little bit more... Resistant to DRM. That is the Linux crowd. Yeah, the only person yeah. I know who uses Linux is a computer science major, so that speaks uh, to the audience. I yeah. when I was in college studying computer science, that was our official uh, operating system that we used for all our studies. And all of my friends who kept most of my friends keep a Linux box on the side. That's how you treat it. Like, oh, and I've got my Linux box too, or I double boot into Linux. That's what you use Linux for. Is I know if you if you hate the proprietary system, you you go to Linux because it's free on Linux. Mm-hmm. So I could see that working kind of well for indie games. Then you know, um, there, indie games the big struggle for them is to is to get attention. So you know, you've seen a lot of them have success with this kind of free to play sort of model where you don't worry so much about the pirating. You don't worry about that as long you know any attention is good attention. You want to get your game out there, and then you say, hey, you know, if you want to throw me a few bucks, that'd be kind of nice. Right, you know, uh, and this could be a great distribution model for that. Maybe it, it could. And the other thing is kind of smart about this. It, what's difficult about Linux is that it truly is such a tiny, tiny market that you just aren't going to get much of a boost. It, it's, it, it will hardly ever be worth the effort to port to Linux. You know, if you can get it to run on Linux as is, that might work. But porting to Linux usually won't be worth the effort. But the plus side about Linux, and I've seen this with a lot of other programs on Linux, is that it's a Linux is where cult classics are made. Uh, you know, it's very easy to release something on Linux, make it free, make it popular, and get this intense group of loving, devoted fans who then make it a success on other platforms. Mm-hmm. You make it sound so easy. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, let's see. Come on, let's see some source games. Port it over to Linux. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah I thought they already did that. Well, uh, they did it to Mac. I don't think they did it to Linux. Oh, Same. yeah. I think I must be getting them confused. It's Windows and other. <laughs> yeah, Windows and other. Question of the episode today is, what games will make for great Halloween playing? Well, I think the one that pops to mind first for me is Amnesia, The Dark Descent, because it is terrifying as hell. And it's basically just wandering around in a big old haunted mansion with a few perverted twists here and there. When I was playing Amnesia, I wondered actually why I didn't have nightmares about it. (laughs) And then I realized Amnesia was the nightmare. Pretty much. (laughs) Put it on the back of the box. 
I was so hoping for the sequel to make it before Halloween this year, but yeah, no, it'll be worth the wait. For me, uh, if anyone's looking for something really quick, so we talked about it in one of the previous podcasts, but uh, Slender, it's great. Oh, a little fifteen-minute experience, definitely. Oh, creepy. No, is it, pers- isn't it free as well? Oh yeah, free. Yeah, yep. Free mod, go for it. Uh, those for, me per- for me personally, I know it's already cliche and, and a lot of people already, already do it, but Halloween's a great time to get onto Team Fortress. If anything, just because uh, the Halloween celebrations on Team Fortress are, you know, it's sort of the big Team Fortress event of the year. I, but I like it because most of the games we're mentioning, I think, are going to be scary games. But on Team Fortress, I think they remember the fun of Halloween. On Team Fortress, Halloween is about. Pumpkins and candy and cute little costumes, and that's the spirit of Halloween that I know. So. <laughs> I'm with you on that. I think you should just visit some, uh, go to your favorite MMO. I'm sure most of them are hosting some kind of uh, events and redoing the textures and things like that that are kind of spooky, but nothing is going to really actually freak you out. So if you want a mild Halloween like me, then that's where <laughs> you should go. Well, World of Warcraft will actually probably be a great place for that. There's some great graveyards and stuff. Yeah. Good, good. Well, I hope all of you have a wonderful Halloween. You as well. Oh, I will. I've got my costume all planned out. It's it's half the elf costume. I'm gonna throw on the elf. I'm gonna throw on the elf like the cloak and stuff, and then put on a Renaissance cap and go as a Renaissance guy. So there you go. I'm going to spend my Halloween writing essays. The fun of fourth year university. Woohoo! Nice. I'm going to be um, probably hunkered inside uh, without any power, uh, cuddled underneath <laughs> my bed with my dog and my fiance as uh, Hurricane Sandy just batters the rest of New Jersey. Here's <laughs> hoping you survive, Nick. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll, I'll turn this into a plug. Um, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at at N-I-C-K-C-A-P-O-Z-Z-O-L-I uh, to watch in real time as I am slowly killed by this hurricane. Nice. <laughs> that might be better than Team Fortress. <laughs> yeah, that'll be your Halloween event. Well, as long as you got <laughs> enough candy for the kids that are not coming, you can all have it to yourself, right? <laughs> it reminds me of candy corn. i got to buy some. Yeah. Yeah, I'll get, I'll get some candy for the, the, the dead bodies of costumed children that get battered oh, against Jesus. my... Oh, Jesus, okay. <laughs> uh, Halloween, man, I'm getting kind of dork. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> Family-friendly, new game, netcast. Okay. Pez. 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 <laughs> All right. Okay. AMC, close it up. Oh, so that was the netcast for today. We will catch you next time here on New Game Netcast. Adios, folks. Bye-bye. Au revoir. Watch out. Don't go into any dark corners during Halloween. Please remember to visit www.newgamenetwork.com for the latest and greatest video game news and reviews.